On today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. Pharma and the food are really connected because we're clearly demonstrably getting sick from food and we can we can really dive into that. But I think the real shameful part is that the medical industry does financially profit when there's more patients that are sick to treat and uh, working on a company now to change those incentives and just really think it's the biggest issue in the world. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I am Courtney Swan, your host. I am so excited about this episode. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I said, oh my gosh, for the first time, and I have no idea how long. I have such a fire lit under my ass right now. I sat down with the co-founder of TrueMed, which is a payment integration that enables qualified customers to use pre-tax HSA and FSA funds to purchase health-promoting products or services from their favorite merchants. So essentially, people that are on food stamps can go to their doctor and their doctor can write them a note that will give them tax incentive for foods and lifestyle changes like exercise that are actually health promoting, that are actually good for us. Kelly Means is my guest today and he goes more into detail about this, but just to give you a little snippet of it, 40.2% of Coca-Cola's US revenue comes from SNAP benefits. So that's food stamps, 40% of Coca-Cola's revenue. That is insane. So he has set out to change that with his company, TrueMed. He's also just an amazing voice in this, uh, for lack of a better word, fight that we are in right now with our healthcare system and our food system. This is something that I am so incredibly passionate about. It is one of the main driving reasons that I started Real Foodology in the first place is this desire to pull the blindfold off of the American public about the corruption that's happening in our food system and in our healthcare system. So we just dive straight into it. Callie actually used to work as a consultant for a lot of these big food companies. And I love when this happens. He has an inside scoop in what is actually happening behind closed doors in these large food corporations and healthcare companies and where the funding is going. And he's literally seen the tactics that they use to confuse the general public. They, meaning these big food corporations as well as big pharma, are using pages straight out of the tobacco playbook. They're using the same PR that tobacco used when they were fighting for the regulations that were being put on tobacco. So Callie and I dive into that. We talk about how the system is rigged, subsidies that are being paid for corn, wheat, and soy, and how these corporations are incentivized to keep us sick. How we got to this place where the NIH is funding universities like Tufts to release a new food pyramid that says that Lucky Charms and glyphosate-laden Cheerios are healthier than eggs and ground beef. Can you tell that I'm so fired up about this? It drives me insane. And when I first started learning about all of this, I would say like 12 years ago, it's what made me start Real Foodology. I remember learning back in the day that there is a policy in place for schools when they are thinking about the foods that they are serving to children in schools. They actually consider pizza to be a vegetable because they say that the tomato sauce and the pizza acts as a vegetable. And so they can serve pizza to kids and say that they're serving them a vegetable. I mean, it's crazy. And it's all funded by these big food corporations that have vested interests to get children on their addicted to their foods early. So then they become customers for life. I'm fired up, as you can tell. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I was just so honored to have Kelly Means on my podcast to talk all about this. He talks a lot about what's happening right now in our our food system and what is keeping us sick and the corporations behind that that are being incentivized to keep us sick. And 
I know this all sounds like doom and gloom, but we also talk a lot about what you as the listener and the consumer can do on a personal level so that we can change this. This can be incredibly empowering if you let it be. So don't let this be discouraging to you. Just know that there is a lot of good people out there that are doing good things with our food. And there's a lot of people that want to do good by the American public. So please don't let this allow you to be discouraged. Let it light a fire under your ass. Like, let's get involved here. Let's put our money into companies and farmers and people that we know are doing us right by our food system and that actually care about our health because this is how we get out of the state that we're in right now where only 7% of the American population is metabolically healthy. 7%. That means 93% of the American population is unhealthy, but we can change that and we can change this now. We have the tools, we have the resources, we have the information. It's just about educating everyone and get everyone fired up and we can do this guys we can do this anyways I want to get to the episode because I'm so excited for you to hear it as always if you're loving the podcast please take a moment to rate and review it it means so much to me it really helps support the podcast and it helps get the podcast into more ears so thank you so much and write me on Instagram tag me at real foodology let me know if you loved the episode thanks so much I am such a huge proponent for getting blood work done. I'm asked all the time what kind of supplements people should take and how much. And I tell everyone the same thing. You need to understand what's going on in your body first before you start taking supplements because you need to know what you're deficient in or if you have too much of something in your body. And from there, then you can determine what vitamins are best for you and your specific health needs. This is why I love Healthier's micronutrient test. It is super affordable. It's $124.99. And as someone who's been getting a ton of blood work lately, let me tell you, blood work is not always cheap and not always covered by insurance. But this is $125. And there are six biomarkers tested, vitamin B12, folate, ferritin, which is iron, vitamin D, magnesium, and calcium. It is so simple. They send you a little finger prick with a lancet and a little uh, blood collecting card in the mail. You collect it yourself and then you send it back. It is so easy to do. And what I love about the biomarkers that they're testing, they're related to nutrition. So this kit can really help you understand where you may have gaps in your nutrition or diet. It can also provide insight into symptoms you may be experiencing that are caused by those nutrient gaps. For example, if you're struggling with low energy, it could be caused by low levels of vitamin B12 or ferritin. Also, if you are having a hard time sleeping at night or dealing with anxiety, you might need more magnesium. If you're plant-based or vegan, the micronutrient test helps you to monitor your levels of B12, ferritin, and vitamin D all of which are pretty difficult to obtain from a vegan or plant-based diet alone. So by testing all these biomarkers, you can tailor your diet and your supplement regimen based on your own unique needs. And you can also check and see if your supplements that you're taking are actually working for you and being absorbed so that you're not wasting your time or money on supplements that aren't giving you results. This is why I love blood work. It gives you real tangible information about what is going on in your body specifically. To try Healthier's micronutrient test, go to BeHealthier.com. That's B-E-H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-R.com. Use code RealFoodology and you're going to save 15%. Did you guys know that over 70% of sodium in the U.S. diet is consumed from packaged and processed foods? When you adopt a whole foods diet, you are eliminating or hopefully eliminating these processed foods and therefore sodium from your diet. Now, the solution is not to reintroduce processed foods in your diet 
But by not replacing that sodium, you can actually negatively impact your health and performance. If you guys listened to my episode, The Salt Fix with Dr. James Stinnick, we learned that sodium is actually a really imperative mineral for the body. Sodium helps maintain fluid balance. It's an electrolyte, so it helps keeps us hydrated. It also aids in nerve impulses. It regulates blood flow and blood pressure. It's incredibly important. And if you're eating a whole real food diet, chances are you're probably not getting enough sodium. Also, this is probably going to be a shock to hear, but if you are just drinking water without adding minerals back into your water, you're not actually hydrating. My personal favorite way to stay hydrated throughout the day is through drinking Element every day. That's L-M-N-T. It's a delicious tasting electrolyte drink mix that has everything you need and nothing you don't. So that means lots of salt. There's no sugar in there. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for people following keto, low carb, and paleo diets. It has a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. I drink one of these every single morning. They have a ton of amazing, super delicious flavors. I know a lot of us listening are avoiding natural flavors, so they also have an unflavored one, which is my personal favorite. I love to put it with lemon. But if you want the flavored ones, they have a great variety of different flavors, and they have given me an awesome offer to share with you guys. So you guys can claim a free Element sample pack when you make a purchase through the link. The link is drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash real foodology. And in the element sample pack, you're going to get one flavor, one packet of every flavor so that you can try all of them and see which one is your favorite. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Again, it's drinkelement.com slash real foodology. That's drinklmnt.com slash real foodology. Callie, I was saying before we started recording that just how excited I've been about recording this episode because what you are talking about and revealing to the general public is something that I am so passionate and so fired up about. So first of all, I just want to honor you and say thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing right now because it is it is so needed. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so gr- proud to be in the fight with you and, and, and others just trying to bring light on, I think, the biggest issue in the world right now, yes. which is uh, which is our food system. Yes. Okay. So for people that are unaware of you and the work that you're doing, um, this is such an important part of your story. Can you tell people how you got started and how were you, how were you in these rooms getting the inside scoop into what's actually happening with our food industry? Yeah. So I grew up in Washington, D.C. So a lot of people say they're from D.C. or from Maryland or Virginia. I was born and raised in the swamp and from an early age thought I was going to be in politics. Um, went out to School at Stanford and California, but but studied economics, started political science, went right back to DC and um and and went on some campaigns. I would call myself pretty ideological, wanted to really push forward American competitiveness. And it was distressing to see everyone really in politics from the left and the right. They get in there for the right reasons. And then inevitably you get in consulting after the campaigns were over. And the biggest spenders in Washington, as I quickly learned, are pharma number one, and pharma spends five times more on lobbying than the oil industry, uh, three times more than any other industry in America, and then food. Um, these are two of the most highest employed industries in the country, two of the largest industries in the country, and the two big players in D.C. So found myself across the table from special interests, primarily pharma and food, got out of that and, and got more into entrepreneurship. And in the past several years, it's really all clicked. The dots have connected. Um, you know, Having a new son... Uh, seeing my mom pass away from a 
mm. pancreatic cancer, which is which is highly tied to metabolic dysfunction, to prediabetes. You know, the doctors said it was random. Oh, you know, such bad luck. And you know, all you know, people that have Alzheimer's, bad luck. It's like no, you trace the story. You trace what really is causing the the increase in all these diseases. It's highly tied to to really prediabetes, diabetes, metabolic dysfunction, and. You know, having a new son going into this world that's, you know, looking at what's happening with kids, 25% of, of teens having prediabetes, which is just unthinkable, really traced and, and, and started asking about, uh, these incentives and, and coming up with this thesis that the pharma and the food are really connected because we're clearly demonstrably getting sick from food and we can, we can really dive into that. But I think the real shameful part is that the medical industry does financially profit when there's more patients that are sick to treat and, uh, working on a company now to change those incentives and just really think it's the biggest issue in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So you're speaking out about this now from a lens of knowing what's going on truly in, in these rooms behind closed doors. Were, what were you doing before? You were consulting for big food companies, right? Like Coca-Cola. And so you've seen the playbook that they they throw out. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it's so normalized. You know, I didn't even totally realize it at the time. But, um, you know, in the same week, you know, we'd be working for Coca-Cola. You know, I've talked about how... Um, you know, 2011, 2012, when I was working for them, it was an explicit goal to keep food stamp funding, SNAP funding, as it's called, for soda. And, you know, back then it's like, well, you know, we need to give people choice. We can't take a, a nanny state, take the Coke away. It's all framed in this nice way. But what was in reality happening is an all out assault to keep billions of government funding for the key nutrition program for lower-income Americans flowing to sugar water. It's still, to this day, tragically, 10% of SNAP funding goes to soda. And and back then when I was working for Coke, and you know, it's very dispiriting, the key question is, how do we rig institutions of trust? And Coke-funded civil rights organizations, leading civil rights organizations, both on the national level, the NAACP, NAACP, but in New York, Philadelphia, where they were combating soda taxes, you had, you know, real effort to racialize the debate, quite frankly, which, you know, paying millions of dollars to civil rights groups, which is, to me, very perverse because, you know, lower income communities are absolutely being crushed by metabolic dysfunction. And then I think even to me, potentially more shockingly, is we steered millions of dollars to medical groups. Mm-hmm. You know, during that time, you know, this when I was working for Soda and the American Beverage Association and processed food companies, soda companies were able to donate millions of dollars to the American Diabetes Association. <laughs> like, let's not even nuts. The American Diabetes Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics. Let's just take the American Diabetes Association. You know, uh, listeners might not know how important these groups are. They really set the standards for the standard of care. You know, if you are uh, treating diabetes and go against the American Diabetes Association or, or, you know, God forbid, or a pediatrician and go against the American Academy of Pediatrics, you're in real trouble. It's a real problem. And they really set the standard of care. And both of those groups, uh, the, the, the preeminent uh, pediatrician group and the preeminent diabetes groups, accepted millions of dollars from food companies. The American Diabetes Association had a, had a Coke logo on their website. And it's just, it's, it's shameful because what you should have is these groups shouting an alarm bell 
about the metabolic dysfunction and this this weaponized sugar water that we're drinking, which is you know biologically evolutionary unprecedented. But no, we were buddying up and 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 I was helping and watching donations flow to those medical groups. It's just crazy and. I, I tell people this all the time that we need to be educated on what's really happening because it is and it's assault, it's an assault on us. And, and there's this illusion of choice that we're being given, but we don't understand that we are essentially in a way being brainwashed to think a certain way and think that we have this choice, but we're actually just being infiltrated with all these sugary, highly palatable, highly addictive food-like products. And what you were just saying reminds me of, it's straight out of the tobacco playbook. I mean, I've been saying this for years and I've heard you say this too, where back in the day, they got PR firms and they got doctors to say smoking is fine for you. In fact, it's healthy for you. Do it while you're pregnant. And now we're doing the same thing with food. And we're essentially telling people, oh, it's totally fine. You can have a, you know, a Coke, you know, every day. And just as long as you exercise and you, you know, you work it out, you work out, you're going to burn it off. This is so insane to me. In fact, I don't know, my listeners know this story about me. So I actually started on the dietetic track because I wanted to be an RD. The reason that I stopped that track and I went down a more holistic route was because I saw that Eat Right, the uh, Dietetic Association, they're taking funding from Coca-Cola, General Mills, all of these large food corporations that are supposed to have our back And they're taking money from the very companies that are contributing to these chronic diseases like obesity, diabetes, et cetera, that we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mark Hyman, who's had a a big inspiration on me and is... You know, we've been working with our, our company, wrote a book called Food Fix, which, which dives deep into that. Dr. Robert Lustig, I think another warrior, uh, metabolical and hacking of the American brain. And they really outline some of these stories on, on particularly the, the nutrition groups. And it's just so interesting hearing, hearing that story. It's just, it's really, you wouldn't believe it. And I think that, I think the word, what did you say? Brainwashing? I, I think that's a, a good word. I was actually just kind of connected the dots. I was reading a book about like Maoist China and I, I'm like literally like some of the tactics to like make people question the reality that's clearly right in front of them. It's Orwellian. I mean, you know, you yeah. still to this day have studies from leading universities calling into question whether sugar causes obesity. And and you have thousands of those studies. There were forty over forty five thousand nutrition studies conducted between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two, peer reviewed on PubMed. If you search nutrition studies, and I, I really do, in retrospect, think it is a like out of a Maoist playbook on brainwashing. It, it, it's a systematic effort to have people questioning manifest reality. I think what's very interesting, kind of thinking about this now from the top down, is humans and actually animals we've domesticated and feed are the only animals that have chronic obesity, that have chronic metabolic dysfunction, right? Actually, animals are born with this innate sense. You watch a beautiful child being born. They they, they have a predisposition to natural food. They, they're moving all the time. They want to be out in the sun. There's no, you know, obesity crisis among giraffes or lions in the wild. The only animals that are having these issues are ones where the experts and humans are basically getting involved. You know, it's basically a, a human and, and our dogs. Actually, <laughs> just yeah. going down a rabbit hole where there's a diabetes like crisis among dogs. It's, I think it's like oh. over 50% of dogs have depression. Over over uh, 50% of dogs over 10 have cancer. It's like any 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 animal that touches processed food that we're making is having a real issue and and being you know incentivized for a sedentary lifestyle. 
We don't need those experts. The problem that we have is there doesn't need to be 45,000 nutrition studies. I, I believe, you know, basically gaslighting people. And, you know, there's this debate. I talk about seed oils now, which are, you know, industrial byproduct created in the past hundred years. And, and I get tisk tisks from the, you know, Ivy League crew from the medical establishment. Well, we don't have enough uh, evidence based research on whether it's like this is created by Rockefeller in the early 1900s as a use of industrial byproduct. It's a brand new invention. We're not biologically made to ingest now the number one source of, of US fat. It's like, we're on this totally like bizarro world where we now have to defend that with these rigged studies. It's like, we need to get back to basics. Yes. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. Actually, last night I did a deep dive on a bunch of your tweets, which are amazing, by the way. And the one that I found was you were talking about a study that was done on PB&J. And they and it was a PB&J on white bread, by the way. And they found in this study that a PB&J increases life expectancy while eggs and meat decrease the life expectancy. And then you dove into it a little bit deeper and you saw that it was funded by Unilever, who is the owner of, guess what, Skippy Peanut Butter, and we're, you know, we're sitting here like, well, many of us are not, but many are scratching their heads wondering why everyone's so confused on how to eat well. And it's because we have all these huge corporations with huge budgets and they are funding the studies to show that their foods specifically are healthier for you. When in reality, they're just, like you said, they're gaslighting us, they're lying to us. Another thing I want to dive into, and I'm sure you have things you want to say this, but it's all kind of connected, is the, the Tuft Food Compass that just came out, funded by the NIH, saying that Lucky Charms and glyphosate-laden Cheerios are better for us than ground beef. Right. What is happening? Yeah. You, you hit on two, I think, crucial points there. So so, so I think we'll do this food compass next. But, but first, I, I think it's two different strategies that I saw and I think mm. are being executed to perfection. Number one is this absurdity, right? The, the PB&J study. I don't know. You, you've probably seen like where there was this big brouhaha about gas stoves. Um, oh, you know, there's yes. national news about gas. Not, 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 not mentioning that autoimmune conditions, allergies, um, diabetes, diabetes fatty liver disease are exploding among children. And maybe we should be worried about what's being cooked on those stoves. No, no, no. No, we should be worried about gas stoves. And then there was a recent study making the rounds last week that um, uh, soda increases tes uh, testicle size or something. It's just like, and no. everyone's saying, oh, ha, ha, ha. It's like, it's like, and that was going all over Twitter. But, 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 but sitting, you know, in a PR office, right, where the Coke and processed food companies have literally billions of dollars they're spending on lobbying and, and, and other kind of public affairs PR activities. This is very well known what they're doing. The, the strategy is distraction, right? It's actually, you, you, we can all just kind of imagine, right? Imagine you had a billion dollars and you wanted to kind of weaponize the debate and distract from what's actually happening, which is everyone is, you know, eight of the 10 largest killers in America are, are preventable food-based conditions and we're being brought to our knees by metabolic conditions caused by food. How do you want to distract that? It's not that complicated. You fund a bunch of studies. You just have a steady stream of distracting news articles. Um, you have a bunch of experts saying different things and confusing people. I mean, this is what's happening. So that that's kind of what I put in that lever. It's like there's a huge strategy to just fund distraction. And then, of course, 
food and farm, which you can get into, which which ties into this, I think, um, you know, are are some of the chief funders of entertainment. You know, food is the number one spender on Nickelodeon. They actually, the food companies and Nickelodeon, Viacom and other kids' channels aggressively lobby the FTC to allow sugary, you know, foods to be advertised to kids. So they they own a lot of the news networks, they own a lot of the things, and, and that really influenced the debate. Now, then the f- tough foods compass. Now, I think this gets a little bit more serious. There's the systematic distraction, but then we have the Tufts Food Compass. And the Tufts Food Compass is is the preeminent study in recent years from the National Institute of Health. You know, this has the seal of the NIH on it. The NIH, you know, what did literally like, you know, you t- and you talk about folks being confused. It's like, we should be able to depend on the NIH as an unimpeachable source, right? But the NIH, which by the way, isn't actually government bureaucrats that are nonpartisan. The NIH, 90% of their money is actually grant making. And overwhelmingly, their grants go to, you know, the nutrition grants go to professors and researchers that are heavily conflicted. That happened here too. So it's an NIH grant jointly with food companies, including Danone, that also funded millions of dollars into the same study. Okay. This study has tens of thousands of food, extremely convoluted, and I was recently, because we've caught a lot of attention to this, and Joe Rogan's talked about it, and and Fox News. Fox News is the only, whatever you think of them, is the only network that will even Just touch any about food it. issues. It's not on the right. It's actually a lot of independent folks and and, and folks on, on the right. So getting a lot of attention. So the guy, uh, the, the, the study's author called me and, and kind of trying to talk it down a little bit. And he's like, I just asked him. I, I said, you got millions of dollars from food companies. You, you've received personal payments, not not even research funding, direct personal payments from food companies. Does this have any influence? He's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of course. And I said, he's like, you know, Danone, they're, they're, a, they're a milk maker. So I pulled up the study and they had milks listed, different types of milk. And above grass-fed Greek yogurt, above, you know, A2 dairy, above above any type of milk, the number one rated milk was chocolate almond milk. Chocolate almond milk. And chocolate, that was above any other dairy in America. That was the, the NIH study, chocolate almond milk insane. processed. Correct. Who's the number one maker okay. in the world of chocolate almond milk? Danone. <laughs> the head funder of the study, exactly. and, and I'm like, and he's telling me it's not, so. It's like that's just def, that's just defined. You know, we're, we're back to the Orwellian thing. You know, the studies all say you know we had a wall between. You're telling, you're asking us to believe that food companies are spending billions of dollars on research, which is what they're doing, and they're not expecting. They're, they're just trying to advance nonpartisan, non-biased scholarship. But just diving in a little bit more, and, and there's been a lot of talk about this food, but it, but it really is. This is not a mischaracterization. Cheerios, which I, I think is so much glyphosate, it's not even legal in some countries, yeah. are rated as high as quinoa. <laughs> this so study's crazy. authors said that highly processed grains, that they're fortified with these vitamins, is very problematic. And the highly processed grains are, take all the fiber out, nutritional value. They said it's just the same as quinoa, a, a whole grain, organic quinoa. So, so that's that's point number one. I just want to make kind of one other quick point about that food compass. And, and it's kind of funny almost how ridiculous it is, this is that Lucky Charms are three times healthier than an egg and all this stuff. Okay, okay. The system's corrupt. We get it. Here's the problem. And, 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 I, and I saw this close up. This has disastrous 
real-world implications, right? And the studies authors like, well, you know, this is just science. And, 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 you know, you've taken some things out of context and, you know, there's some serials rated low. No, 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 no. That doesn't matter. Every serial company understands that like the, the Reese's puffs might rate low, but every single serial company had serials that were rated encouraged. I think it was like several dozen serials, processed serials. So what happens? Why are the food companies funding this study. In the press release before it got pushed back a year and a half ago, it said the premier purpose of this study was to influence, quote, childhood marketing and nutrition guidelines. That was the oh, express God. purpose of the study. So what happens? You have this study from the NIH and Tufts Nutrition School. Are the food companies debating the nuance of that? No, they're going to school boards and literally arguing that they should be serving Lucky Charms instead of eggs. That's the whole point of the study. And that's how these studies and the research is being weaponized. And it's it, it, the, the, the criminal thing here. You know, you kind of understand institutions arguing for their interests, but this is causing devastation to children. Modern living is so hard on our bodies. We get exposed to so many things on a daily basis, whether it's pollution in the air or our tap water that has pharmaceutical drugs and pesticides and fluoride, chlorine, heavy metals. There's pesticides in our food. There's BPA also in our food, in the plastic containers that's holding our food. I mean, the list goes on, right? And I don't say this to scare you because, I mean, there's only so much that we can do. But one of the things that I think is really important that we do is we protect our liver. We take things that not only protect our liver, but also support the detoxification pathways of the liver. One of the ways that I do this is I take Liver Reset from Organifi. It has tryptophan in there. It also has dandelion extract and milk thistle and artichoke. These are all things that are known to protect the liver. And we want to make sure that we're protecting and taking care of our liver because all of these toxins are being filtered out through our liver. And this also helps with the removal of excess toxins and helps to support the detoxification pathways of the liver. So I'm a huge fan of all Organifi products. Everything is organic. Also glyphosate residue free, which we know is huge. If you guys want to save on Liver Reset or any of the products that they have on the Organifi website, make sure that you go to Organifi.com slash realfoodology and you are going to save 20%. And this is what I love so much about your message. Um, I've heard you talk about this, that you recently had a son, right? Yes. Yeah. And and that's kind of your driving concern, which um, I'm I'm there with you. I, I don't have kids yet. But, you know, when you look at the stats and you see that um, they're saying the first time in history that this next generation may not outlive their parents. That's insane. That's insane. And at what point are we going to stop and start holding these corporations accountable for what they're doing because th this is they are the ones that are proliferating this and how did we get to this place where we are allowing these corporations to fund these studies to say that like oh yeah my product is superior to you know ground beef and eggs just because I say so and I have enough money to to say that and and also like I want to know how did we get to this point in society where people are even like falling for this. Because I think about this from, you know, you just, you take a step back for a second and you th really think about it and you're like, how could sugary chocolate almond milk that's highly processed be better for us than just dairy that came out of a cow? Or how could Lucky Charms possibly be healthier for us than ground beef? How have we gotten to this place? Like it's, it, it's maddening. 
Yeah. So, so I think this is where it ties to healthcare. So I, I think it's a very important question. How did we get to this place? And you know, there's some quotes, right, from economists. It's like you show the incentive, you can explain anything. So healthcare is now the largest and the fastest growing industry in the United States. More people are employed by the healthcare industry than any other industry. And it still has a semblance of trust, although that's very deservedly eroding, I think. So I'll just give a quick kind of theory of how this all happened. So it has a lot to do with healthcare. So in, in 1960, 0% of healthcare dollars were spent on managing chronic conditions. The first chronic condition treatment was the birth control pill right around 1960. And by that, I mean a pill or a treatment you would take for a sustained period of time. So when we think about medical miracles, when we think about the medical miracles that really have extended life expectancy, it's almost universally acute treatments that were invented before 1960. And by acute, I mean a treatment for something that was probably going to imminently kill you, such as a, you know, infection or, you know, childbirth used to be very dangerous. Actually, I think one of the most deadly things a person could do in 1900, I, it, was, it was like several percentages uh, death rate. I mean, it was absolutely mm. crazy. So emergency surgical and various procedures for childbirth, burst appendix, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then some people credit vaccines and, antibiotics, so some some acute issues. Today, 90 plus percent of dollars go to managing chronic conditions. So what we realized in 1960 is that if you can treat and manage something for a lifetime, it's recurring revenue. So actually, Arthur Sackler, the grandfather of the folks that did Purdue Pharma and the opioids, actually was the genius on this. He was in the 60s. He was the marketer for Pfizer. And he actually said, "How how do we create more chronic things and Valium and this 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 class of drugs like that for 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 mental things uh, started becoming popular and by the end of the 1960s 30% of US women were on uh, Valium and into the 70s okay and now today it's it's we siloed chronic diseases into all these different things so what we don't realize is that it's been a disaster as we've siloed and treated chronic conditions that are caused by food all the conditions have gone up. So we prescribe more stands and heart disease goes up. We prescribe more metformin, diabetes goes up. We prescribe more SSRIs, obviously depression's going up. We prescribe more blood pressure. So it's, you just go down the list of the top drugs. They're all basically siloing and treating what's essentially the same thing, which is metabolic dysfunction caused by food. And I think what that's led, what those incentives have led to is an explosion of the healthcare industry because it hasn't worked, right? If you literally just get people and fix our food system, there wouldn't be, there'd be almost no diabetes. You could theoretically wipe out literally heart disease and diabetes if you took processed sugar, seed oils, and highly processed grains out of the American diet. So, so there's no talk about that. Most doctors graduate from Harvard, Stanford, or anywhere don't even understand that fact. So the incentives of the system you know, and it's like the medical system. Oh, we're creating stats, we're creating these drugs, we're helping people, but nobody's asking, including the NIH, which is just fully, you know, kind of tied to the incentives as well, which we can dig into. Nobody's asking why people have gotten so sick. Nobody's questioning why worldwide we'd spend a trillion dollars in stands and heart disease rates are still exploding. It, 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 it just, it's just like, let's, they've taken no responsibility for the fact that people are getting sick. So, so that's a key thing, I think. It's that the medical systems that we would assume are asking why people are getting sick aren't. They're profiting off people getting sick. And that's not a impugment of anyone's individual motives. I know a lot of great doctors, we all do. There's a lot of dedicated people in the system. But 
it has led to a complete moral blind spot where very few medical leaders are ringing the alarm bell. Right now, today, the USDA nutrition guideline says that a two-year-old, their diet can be 10% added sugar. An addictive drug that's highly... It, I do not see the NIH and the head of Harvard Med School and all the medical leaders. If they got together and every medical leader, the, the, the same way they were ringing the alarm bell on a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical product on COVID, I mean, you know, if there was one voice, people listen to medical leaders, actually. Like like when they told us to take the COVID vaccine, 85, I think, percent, 90% of Americans, you know, got it. One, at least one. It's like when the Surgeon General said to, that smoking's bad in the 1980s, very late, we, smoking rates plummeted. When we said in the 1990s that, you know, the food pyramid, disastrous advice to eat more carbs, we ate a lot more carbs. It's like we actually, like if there was medical unanimity to lower recommended sugar, it should be zero for kids. It should be zero for adults. I don't think sugar should be illegal, but like, I don't think there should be a USDA recommendation for allotted alcohol. Like, like I don't yeah. think there should be a USDA recommendation for that 10% of your, you know, calories should be alcohol or marijuana. It's like, this is a drug. Like, like the like government guidelines should be zero. <laughs> um, so, but, but that, 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 the incentives of healthcare have allowed the food companies to run amok. And understandably, the food companies want food to be more addictive and cheaper. Absolutely. I tell people this all the time, that once you really understand that these food corporations do not have your best health in mind, once you really, really get that, then all of this starts making sense. Because I think a lot of people have this misconception that one, that if it's on the shelf, that it's totally safe and fine to eat and vetted for, which is completely not true. Because um, a lot of these food manufacturers are, they just have to write a letter to the FDA proving, quote unquote, proving that their products that they're using are safe. And the FDA is like, okay, fine, because they're overloaded and they can't even keep track of all of the the different ingredients that are coming in. And then not to mention, I think a lot of people think that these corporations are creating products with their health in mind, but they're not. They're creating these products with their their money in mind, you know, their bottom dollar. And there's no one really taking accountability for this and, and keeping them in check and regulating it. And it's insane. Not only that, but there's a revolving door between all these regulatory agencies. Like, uh, you know, a high-level executive working for a pharma company suddenly is like on the board for the FDA, you know, and vice versa. It's like there's no checks and balances for any of this. Yeah, it's 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 worse. It's worse than you think. And I think you hit on I think an important point, which is distressing. But but I I actually hope the message people take. And folks take and is empowerment out of this because I think actually understanding um, it's kind of licensed to actually think for yourself here and understand that we do have an innate ability. I think to understand strife for us and understand, but um, that, that that things are are not right. But I I think and you, you asked it kind of gets to why this has happened. I think we have understandably defer and trust institutions, the medical institutions. And I think that's really potentially where we've gone wrong. I mean, I can tell you a Harvard study and, and Har Harvard, just to pick on them for a little bit, right? it's like, you know, can't have a more elite study than that, a Harvard medical study. They produced the foundational studies saying sugar didn't cause obesity paid for by the Sugar Research Council. It's like these documents, and I'll just say it direct, a, a document on on pharmaceutical products or a document on, on nutrition, it's, it's a public relations document. You talk about the revolving door, you know, of course, the former FDA administrator is now the head of the, you know, on the board of Pfizer. I mentioned yep. that the NIH is primarily a grant making organization with 
with essentially no rules on conflict of interest to the grants they make. Even NIH employees are able to take outside uh, consulting funds from pharmaceutical companies. There's absolutely complete and utter toothless. And again, it's just asking us to believe that somebody that's trying to pay their mortgage and send their kids to private school aren't influenced by hundreds of thousands of dollars from a company when they say that there's no conflict. It's like, you know, the dean of the former dean of Yale Law School, uh, there was a report, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, was paid over a million dollars for basically doing nothing from pharma companies. He went to like one meeting a year. It's like, it's like, it's like kind of asking us to believe like crazy things about like the rules of, of economics not working. And, you know, I hope, yeah, I hope that does, um, empower people to kind of kind of question it's basic but questioning what a what a study says and using common sense yeah and i'm so glad that you brought that up cuz i i am always careful to bring this up whenever i talk about you know whenever i have conversations like this because i don't ever want someone leaving listening to something like this feeling disempowered because like you said, it's very empowering. I actually find it incredibly empowering. And I was telling you before we were recording that when I was prepping for this, I just had a fire under my ass. I was so excited because once we know all of this and we reveal all of it to the general public, the more that we know, the better we can do and we can hold these companies accountable. We can vote with our dollars. Stop putting money in these corporations like Coca-Cola or, you know, just to name one, but these corporations that you know that are not doing us good and start putting your money back into the farmers that are actually creating really healthy foods for us that nourish our body. And this is how we have the power. And I find it also incredibly empowering to know that a lot of what we learn in mainstream is actually not true. Like what you were saying earlier about the chronic diseases, we can completely wipe this out. You know, just because your diabetes runs in your family does not mean that you're going to get it. And I find that incredibly empowering. 100%. And I think there's two levels to this. And I've, I've been, you know, really have so much gratitude for talking to you and, and just and just being on this journey, meeting other fighters in this in this space. And, and my theory of change, I guess I'll give a little bit of, of my... So, I, you know, as I said, I grew up kind of conservative, loving American greatness on food and pharma and defending it. And um, as I mentioned, uh, some health issues I had, some, my, my mom passing away, my my sister, I I didn't mention who um, was a physician, the pride of the family, kind of all the all the good stamps you could have, Stanford Med School, top of her class, surgeon. Uh, she abruptly uh, left surgery, a real kind of moment for the... And I was like, what the heck are you doing? You're on the up and up. Um, and she really brought me along to the fact that she was, you know, doing surgery on folks uh, and had no idea why they were sick and they were under her knife for a second time in six months, you know, cutting out their sinus inflammation. Why are people inflamed? Well, maybe because there's so many foreign inflammation is attacking a foreign substance in the body. We're chronically inflamed because we're putting foreign substances in our body. It's not that complicated, but that's not what med schools teach doctors. You know, uh, there's 80% of doctors, 80% of med schools do not require one nutrition class to this day. So, um, really understanding that. But yeah, my, so it's been a big path for me. And I, I think. I'd say it went this way. I was despondent like two years ago, like peeling back the onion. It's like, oh my gosh, like we are screwed. Like what's going on? And then I got more of this empowerment thing. I actually like learning, just reading from 
Mark Hyman, like listening to podcasts like yours, like just the act, I think, of like trying to understand and questioning the American Academy of Pediatrics saying that the first thing we should feed kids is highly processed grains, which kids never used to eat. It's just like, just like even like asking questions and, and listening to podcasts, reading books, talking to folks. It's just like, to me, it's been a path of like happiness. I don't have all the answers, but like, it's almost like it's kind of obvious to me that the United States, like our our public policy should inspire us to have more awe about what we're putting into our body. It's the most important thing we do as humans. It's like we are totally disaggregated from farmers. We just have no idea how our food is made. It's it's just like we should actually like inspire like encourage more curiosity and awe about our bodies and what we're putting in there. Instead, we do the exact opposite. So it's like I think it's a personal thing. But then it does get to uh, it does get to hopefully changing some policy. I I think the big problem in policy is that there's this cynicism in medicine. And, and my sister Casey talked about this. And, and I think I think everyone hopefully can kind of see this, but this is my take, is that there's just this like kind of shoulder shrug from the medical system. It's like, yeah, people are going to eat their Big Macs. People are going to make bad decisions. 80% of American adults are obese or overweight. It's like, yeah, Americans are lazy. It's this, it's this like nihilism about like patients. And like, Think about what that what they're saying, right? Think about what the medical system's saying. They're saying that 80% of Americans who are overweight, they're saying that 50% of American adults who are pre-diabetic or diabetic, they're saying that people are systematically trying to kill themselves at, 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 a, at a population scale. Uh, life expectancy is declining for the most sustained period in American history since 1860. You know, people are missing their their child's wedding or playing with their grandkids. People are suffering so much more. And I don't think that's happening on a system. Clearly something wrong is happening. Something's happening with incentives. I think the problem is, is that obviously we subsidize the poison that's making this happen. We we have grain subsidies. We have corn subsidies. We, you know, I talked about SNAP food stamps. We talked uh, school lunch programs, which don't have a sugar limit. We're actually subsidizing and paying for this poisonous food that's really hurting us and medical spending kind of crazily, right? Only kicks in at the end once you get sick, which is much more expensive. So my goal in life is to spur and be a part of this bottoms up change and people waking up and asking questions and making better decisions, as you said. And then the hopefully that eventually gets to seeing food as medicine. Um, if you put a, uh, you know, I was recently speaking to a friend who has uh, Crohn's disease and a leading doctor told them, you know, they got to get a pharmaceutical kind of treatment injections uh, every two weeks for the rest of their lives. And the, the friend asked the doctor, well, what about food? The doctor said, uh, like, top credentials you could have. He said, well, food's not part of this. And that person then went on a journey reading Terry Walls and reading other folks who have uh, talked about food and autoimmune conditions. And they are in the best health of their lives, symptom-free, and and have really like completely transformed their their mental health and and, and just, just general life by going on this path of food as medicine. The, the doctors could talk about that. We could actually, they're paying out of pocket now, but like it would be so much cheaper and just better because it would reduce other comorbidities. If, if imagine that person got a specialized plan and instead of all these lifetime injections, which are incredibly expensive, uh, food interventions, that would obviously be the best public policy. And we could do that tomorrow. We could do that tomorrow and it would transform lives. And I believe most people suffering from autoimmune conditions would want to go on that plan. Uh, but that cuts off a lifetime patient because of course, if that doctor isn't talking to that 
patient about food and they continue getting their injections but eating inflammatory food, they've got, they're guaranteed for many more comorbidities. They're guaranteed for diabetes treatment eventually, which generates a trillion dollars for the healthcare system in the US. They're, they're you know, guaranteed for other, other dynamics throughout their life. Chronic diseases are an absolute windfall for the medical system because they're lifetime patients to manage. Mm. And what you just said is all we're doing is masking the symptoms. We're just putting a Band-Aid over it. You know, instead of teaching them how to fix their diet, this is what I have a huge problem with is Ozempic stuff happening right now. I mean, they're not, you know, they're going on 60 Minutes and saying that obesity is totally genetic and has nothing to do with our food or environment. And then just telling everyone to go on these injections. And the problem is the second they come off these injections, they're still going to be doing the same thing they've been doing, you know, eating the same foods and having the same lifestyle. And then they're just going to gain all the weight back and probably more. And then probably have stacked on more diseases because they haven't changed anything. The Ozempic thing is, <laughs> you know, you're going to fire me up on that, but I've, I've been on Let's go. on this because, um, <laughs> no, I totally agree with what you just said. And uh, uh, for, for listeners who haven't following this, it's, uh, you know, there's this diabetes drug that, you know, now is, um, is being rolled out as this miracle cure for obesity. Um, so I think there's two issues here. There, there's just, does the drug work? And then the societal implications. So just the drug itself, and there's a lot of articles about this being the miracle cure. I just want to say, I predict that this is going to get recalled. I think it's going to be a really problematic drug. There's actually very credible reports, Peter and Tia, but other kind of clinical studies have been showing that actually dramatically reduces muscle mass. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, right? And you got to understand, like everything Everything we try to have a medical cure for, you gotta, to me, it's, this is so simple. It's like metabolic dysfunction is the root. Our cells are malfunctioning. Okay. So it reduces muscle mass. What does that mean? Muscles are the glucose sponges. But if you have prediabetes or diabetes or really trying to like improve your blood sugar, the first thing, you know, food is obviously important, but, but one of the first things a doctor will say is like, like do some resistance training because your, 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 your muscles can, can really sponge up the glucose actually absent of insulin. But you, know, you can go down the whole rabbit hole in that, but muscles are really important. It, it erodes your muscle mass, not your fat. That the studies are increasingly showing that. So inevitably, like, like if that is true, and there's very credible reports that that is true, you are going to see an explosion, an increase of metabolic dysfunction, prediabetes, heart disease. It's not, right? So you might lose a little bit of weight. Your muscles are shriveling. And you're oh. you're not you're, you have the doctors giving this because in order for them to sta- substantiate wide prescriptions, we have to categorize obesity as a disease. And as you said, you have Dr. Fatima Stanford at Harvard on sixty Minutes, literally saying that food and lifestyle don't have much to do with diabetes. Just take the drug. So let's think about that. We have somebody that doesn't know how to eat well. They start rigged incentives. Take this drug, lose a little bit of weight. Their muscles are shriveling. They're continuing to eat inflammatory food, maybe 20% less, but that's still your foundational fuel for your body is inflammatory, high glucose poison. And you don't have the muscles to soak up the glucose. It's a recipe for disaster. Additionally, the drug is metabolic dysfunction. It's metabolic dysfunction. Technically, that's what the drug does. And particularly gastrointestinal dysfunction. Actually, in an unknown way, we don't even know the full mechanisms, um, alters your gut to make you less hungry. Uh, There's also cases of depression. And that's listed as a side effect. Why is that? Well, and it's again, the medical system silos diseases and silos departments into 42 specialties, 82 subspecialties. But let's think about this. 
our gut is what produces our serotonin. Our serotonin regulates our happiness. Um, and 95% of your serotonin is made in your gut. If you have IBS or some gastrointestinal issues, you're much more likely to have depression. I recently had a, a little bit of a stomach bug. I realized that now I was actually like very irritable. Like I really felt mm. actually much worse. And you usually wouldn't even associate that, but it's like your, your gut actually controls your mood. In a, in a huge way. So you're also seeing cases of that. So anyway, there's all of these. That's just the drug itself. My big concern with Ozempic is that in the past 50 years, we've shifted our diet and it's causing everything. It's all the things are going up. Autoimmune conditions to every chronic disease we can think of to depression to everything. It's all going up. It's, it's really tied to food and metabolic habits. And what's happening is you, you, there's a huge push for government subsidization of this drug. And the target market is 80% of American adults and 45% of teens who are obese or overweight, which is what the market is. So you're actually going to have, because we can't even negotiate, um, we can't negotiate drug prices. So you're going to have a very expensive drug. And then once, once you have that, the government cannot intercede between the doctor and the patient. So you obviously have an incentive for every doctor to be prescribing this drug. Cause as you said, it's a lifetime treatment. You're supposed to be on it for life and manage the condition for life, which is great for the system, but terrible for the patient because it's a little cure when they're still eating inflammatory food and not solving the root cause issues. So my big thing on Ozempic, and I really do actually think it's one of the key debates of our time right now because this will be the most expensive drug for taxpayers in American history. We're on the road to bankruptcy from healthcare costs. We could take one-fifth of what we're expected to spend on Ozempic of taxpayer money and buy every obese child in this country healthy food. The question is, are we going the road of drugs or are we going the road of food? We need to slant healthcare dollars more towards food. If you tomorrow... Um, when you had an autoimmune case, when you have obesity, like obviously, when you have heart disease, when you have diabetes, shift more funding and more focus to food. We would revolutionize our human capital in this country. We would we would bend the cost of healthcare. I think we're being blinded from that with this Ozempic debate. Yeah, we really are. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I haven't heard anyone talk about it from that lens, and that I mean, you make some really great points. And and I wanted to add on to that as well is that. What's so maddening about this whole conversation is that they're trying to say that we're seeing this influx of diabetes and and heart disease and obesity because it's genetically related. But you think about the fact that our genes haven't changed that much in the last 50 years. And we have people on this planet that have been alive long enough to see the change, not only in our food landscape, but also just in um, the rise of all these chronic diseases. So why are we, how are we not making this connection is what I want to know. And I know why it's because it's not incentivized to make that connection. It's so tragic. Yeah. I mean, I, I go back to the point, which I, which I think is really unsettling. It's just like, you know, throughout the past couple of decades, Gallup does polls of like what institutions you trust. A lot of institutions have been going down, you know, the military stayed high, but you know, obviously Congress and and uh, and you know some various corporations, but medical has always been high. We've always trusted medical systems. Again, I I just think it's taking the trust that the medical system rightfully gained, you know, at the first half of the century. You know, the discovery of antibiotics is credited, you know, you know, in a large part with winning World War II. I mean, we we, we <laughs> there was a lot of the uh, great discoveries, and just we've taken that trust. The medical system mm. has taken that trust and squandered it. So I I just actually think like. 
we've got to have a bottoms up revolution. I, I think folks listening to this podcast and others are getting empowered and, and taking matters in their own hands. But I do feel for, you know, most, um, it's like an average person needs to defer, anyone needs to defer to institutions, society, right? To, for some things. I, I'm focused and really have gratitude for focusing my life on trying to change healthcare. But like, I, I defer to institutions of, environmentalism and education for my children you know it's just like you have you can't solve everything and i think that's kind of what happened it's like we've just been kind of tricked into this siloing of chronic disease it makes no sense you know going back to rockefeller he had the industrial byproducts and the seed oils and then he was kind of the father of the modern pharmaceutical industry um through kind of some of his oil byproducts too and he funded, and actually one of his employees, last name Flexner, wrote the Flexner Report in the early 1900s, which actually established this idea of evidence-based medicine. It actually established uh, the credentialing and the rules in Congress. And Rockefeller wrote this bill about how medical education, and it stigmatized any type of nutrition, and it really propelled forward an innovationist-based system, propelled by this doctor, Dr. William Halstead at Johns Hopkins, who's the father of kind of modern medical education, modern surgery. And it was all about interventions. It was all about, you know, they stand, the medical system stands ready to intervene. And Dr. Halstead had all these radical surgeries, which turned out to be ineffective. And but 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 that's that's kind of been this macho kind of vibe of the medical system. It's like, well, we're not gonna deal with nutrition, we're gonna step and cut someone open or write a prescription. And that Flexner report in the 1909, I believe it was, is still uh that bill hasn't been changed. Um and and it's all about intervention-based systems. I think that's been disastrous. I think that's been really disastrous and taking away all of the human body and um and created these profit incentives. Yeah, and didn't that report also create this kind of vilification of anyone that was talking out about like holistic and nutrition interventions, right? And also too, like as I hear you saying this, I, I always come back to this. What is so crazy to me is that we've we've been, again, to bring that word back again, is brainwashed into thinking that having a surgery and like taking a pill is just totally normal. But if you, God forbid you change your diet, that's considered to be this like insane intervention that we're being gaslighted into thinking like, oh God, like don't, you don't need to do that. To me, I'm like, and I'm not here to vilify surgeries. Thank God we have doctors that can cut us open when we need to. But the, but the fact that there's so many other interventions that we can do instead of having to cut someone open to, you know, heal their heart or whatever it is, that is asinine to me. The fact that like we just immediately jump to like, oh, well, we, we'll just cut them open. That is the most extreme intervention you can possibly think of. What? It's barbaric. When we have all these other options before that we can completely avoid that. And so it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, this this system needs to be completely disrupted. We need an upheaval. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my, my sister was a surgeon and talks about this. It's like surgery is not, it's, it's this rite of passage now. It's a rite of passage in America to get us some surgeries and take your statin and, you know, Matt Foreman. And, you know, we talked about my mom who, as I said, passed away from pancreatic cancer, but like she was like a normal American. She, you know, had elevated glucose levels, she got a metformin. She had elevated mm. cholesterol levels, she got a statin. She had high blood pressure, she took a drug. And every time it was like, oh, this is, you know, just everyone, you know, oh, go on your way. And it's like, these are warning signs. These are all warning signs. One reason I'm on this mission is 
that's where we need to get to. It's like, it's not this intervention basis. Oh, you're fine. Take this out. It's like, it's like, hmm, let's be curious. Why is your cholesterol levels high? Why are your fasting glucose? How can you reverse that? What happens even if you take a drug that maybe superficially brings one level down, what, what's actually happening in your body that if you don't reverse that underlying inflammation, underlying oxidative stress, underlying issues, what could that lead to? How is that potentially tied to mental health problems like depression because mm-hmm. there's cells in your brain and uh, what what elevated glucose and prediabetes represents is cellular dysfunction and a lot of cells are in your brain. It's like... It's like this curiosity about the interconnections. Doctors don't even know this. I mean, doctors aren't talk, taught this. You know, medical schools, you know, a doctor chooses their specialty, as I mentioned, one out of 42 specialties. So, you know, the, the, the way to rise up in medicine is go narrower and narrower, narrower. You go, you know, the head and neck where it's, uh, you know, a couple millimeters and then, you know, you, you do a fellowship on one millimeter of the body. It's like, that's, that's how you rise up. And it's a complete siloing of the body to where, you know, an average patient who's going to the hospital is seeing several different doctors with several different treatment plans and several different medications. When, you know, if somebody has, you know, some chronic inflammation and prediabetes and depression and fatty liver disease, it's all the same thing. <laughs> it's like yes. it's like we siloed this. You can fix that all doing one thing, like yes. which is like yes. yeah, but um, but it's totally wimpified and totally really stigmatized any talk of nutritional. You know, literally, I was, I was speaking to the leading doctors and a, and a leading policy group and talking about these topics. And they said, well, we'll connect you with our nutrition department. It's like, this is a siloing of, of this issue. It's not nutrition or preventative health. This is, this is not, this is not preventative. This is reversal. Like, like food and, and metabolic habits, it's siloed. It's kind of, it's like, that's the best way to reverse diabetes, reverse heart disease. You know, there's books you've probably seen, um, Dr. Uh, Bresden, I believe it is, uh, on reversing, you know, really pr- clinically ways to reverse uh, dementia. So yeah, I, I, I just, we've got it, we've got it wrong. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that you'll never hear a doctor, or anyone in the medical care system say that you can reverse diabetes, you can reverse, um, you know, all these different inflammatory about like IBS and Crohn's and I mean, you name it, you can reverse it. And I've been saying this for 12 years and everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's because we've been told in the medical system that once you have this, oh, well, you just have to go on meds for life. And it's because they're incentivized to put you on meds instead of actually just reverse it. But you know, when we look at things like you've brought up these subsidies where our tax dollars are going, we are literally paying for these issues because we're subsidizing corn, wheat, soy, and then it's going into our food. And then that's what's leading to the inflammation. And then, you know, we're complaining about our $4 trillion a year, you know, debt that we have with healthcare system. All of this, this entire conversation that we've had, all of these issues that we are dealing with that are top of mind, like the biggest issues that we're dealing with this in the country that we're talking about from different angles on mainstream media could all be fixed if we just had this approach. You're just getting me fired up here. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm um, so fired up. <laughs> no, like, oh my, I just want to underline, you said it so well. Like, imagine you're just like, go high level and imagine you're trying to design the worst public policy imaginable for a government. You would subsidize food that's inflammatory and causes disease that we know you would you would literally pay as we do right now over 10 billion dollars for a government nutrition program for sugary drinks which is this like 
weapon. It's weaponized in many ways, like the liquid form of sugar, which is like unprecedented, right? It's like nobody used to do that or drink that. It's like that immediately goes to the bloodstream. And then of course, it's subsidized in that in that soda, most likely high fructose corn syrup. Fructose is a processed weaponized, processed fructose is totally weaponized. Because fructose used to be in, you know, fruit. It is in fruit, and and and, it, and actually, evolutionarily, there's some very interesting books on this. Uh, Drop acid and nature wants us to be fat. A uh, Dr. Perlmutter wrote Drop Acid, going really deeply into the fact that fructose specifically uh, shuts off our satiety signals. So it actually makes us want to like binge. Less than I think, yeah, um, yeah, like, like, yeah. So, so. Um, when you talk about weaponized, they know this. So the fructose. So so, so anyway, we're, we're giving we're giving kids, you know, not only just like overwhelming a hundred times more sugar than they ate a hundred years ago, but also like weaponized with natural flavors that are addictive and and the and the, the fructose, which which makes them want to drink more. And um, okay, so we pay for that, and then that causes trillions of dollars of downstream health impacts that are bank literally, literally. And this isn't hyperbolic, and people kind of gloss over the you know we hear about. 20% of healthcare, it's 4 trillion. We have that. It's real. It's like, it is it is 20% of GDP. It's growing at an increasing rate. As I said, it's the largest and fastest growing industry in the United States, producing worse outcomes the more it grows and not slowing down. It's like, this is not a joke. Um, and it's all because we're actually funding, we're funding that at the front end, the devastation, particularly for lower income folks, but but really everyone. I, my, from my mom and and many people we know, uh, it, it, it's it's like criminal. <laughs> it is criminal, and what a lot of people don't understand is we are just we're not actually seeing the true cost of what food costs because of these food subsidies, right? So people are going to fast food restaurants or. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, like Coca-Cola or whatever it is, like they're able, so the fast food restaurants are able to give you that cheeseburger at a cheaper cost because it's made from all of these crops that are subsidized. If we were subsidizing avocado and greens and, you know, all these vegetables, those would be cheaper to buy. But the reason why, and everyone's complaining, you know, that like an avocado is more expensive than going through like the McDonald's drive through for a burger. It's because we are incentivizing those crops to be cheaper. Yeah, it's by design. A uh, Coca-Cola uh, at a grocery store is uh, less expensive than water. Uh, so crazy. And that makes sense because there's so many ingredients of that Coca-Cola that are subsidized. So basically, we're paying, the government's paying. And then, of course, that's included in in SAP, as, as I said. This is a huge... So, so this, as I said, I think it's like bottoms up revolution. My friend who has the autoimmune condition is paying out of pocket for more expensive food. And it, and that's, that's tough. But I do think... And, and I'll just be blunt and, uh, you know, talking about this with my, my sister too, and maybe I'll just say it this way. This is my formulation. We can't have an excuse. Like, like, like if you can't, you know, it, 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 it's serious. Like, 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 like I, the way I'm thinking about it is like feeding my new child the healthiest food and myself is the highest priority. Like we will move to a smaller house if we can't afford it. Like we will, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, it's like on exercise. I, I, I would say that the food is number one, but exercise. And I've really been trying to do that more. It's like, I was recently talking to a friend. He's like, it is so important for me to exercise. It's like, I don't want my kid to see any screen time. But like, if I have an exercise, I'll put them like in front, like in front of the screen. It's like, it's like, do whatever you have to do for you and your kids to get these basic metabolic habits. And I think 
you know, there are a lot of American suffering. There are a lot of problems. I think it is the medical leaders, quite frankly, should be a little bit more on the other side too, saying this needs to get done. Like there's no excuses. Um, yeah. You need to cut other expenses in order to eat correctly. That's where we are right now. And it, it is direly serious. We're all in, in many ways, I think, not to be too hyperbolic, but I, I think losing our minds as a as a country in, in many ways. I, you know, I think I think really there's serious both mental health and physical health problems that are yes. unprecedented tied to food. So, so you just I just think we, the medical system isn't like clear on that. It's just like drop what you're doing and make sure you're eating correctly. And and you know, do just do whatever you need to do. Really, is it should really be the message at this point, given given the fact that government's doing nothing. That's number one. Number two, I've been, this is what I'm devoting my life to. And I, I asked that simple question. How do we change the incentives? Because if we change the incentives and actually pricing the externalities correctly, right now, vegetables and fruits are considered specialty crops by the USDA and receive 0.4% of all subsidies. <laughs> Grains and corn are, and soy are 80%. So it's totally rigged. So it's like, how do you change that? And one thing we've, we're doing, our, our company, TrueMed, is, is, um, you can actually get a note from a doctor. Most doctors won't even know how to write this note. But forward-thinking doctors, functional medicine doctors, actually are writing basically a letter of medical necessity for food and exercise. Um, and actually, uh, food and exercise does count as a medical expense if a doctor substantiates it. And it can be for preventative or reversal. And almost everyone in America should be on a prevention, urgent prevention plan for various metabolic disorders. Uh, so we have a telehealth way, TrueMed, to issue those notes and enable folks to buy exercise, healthy food, uh, select supplements uh, that improve metabolic health uh, with HSA, FSA, tax-free dollars. Like That's kind of it is a real problem on the incentives. And, and this is one way we're, you know, attacking that. There's a lot of ways we need to attack it. But, you know, a family can $7,200 HSA, FSA, and that's tax-free pre-income tax. So it's just, it's the best way we could find, I think, an impactful way to change that cost curve by enabling, you know, maybe 30, 40%, depending on your tax rate, uh, savings on um, on food. It's so amazing what you're doing. We'll definitely put a, a link in the show notes for that. And so thank you for for sharing with everyone because I think this is so incredibly important. And my I want to be mindful of your time, but I do want to end this on a a more, you know, a positive note and send everyone off feeling super inspired. So on a personal level, what would be your advice to people that are, you know, listening to this and they're fired up? Like what can people do on a personal level to shift this? And I I'm sure many, many folks listening are more along the journey as I am. I think it's just awe for the for food and what's going on in our body. And uh, and I have a simple framework. I don't want a seed oil, added sugar, or highly processed grains to touch my one-year-old's lips for as long as I can ha- have that happen, uh, particularly as a child, you know, uh, an infant where we can control that um, and really trying to get that out of the house. I, you know, that's my simple friend. You know, you're much <laughs> more knowledgeable on this stuff. I, you might have some additions. I think there are a lot of additions to that list, you know, when you get a natural flavors and, and dyes and stuff. But but I think if you cut those three ingredients for me, you know, it gets to a, a situation where we, we would we would have a revolutionized country if we had a national effort to uh, to not only I'm not saying ban them, but even to your point, price in the externalities, uh, the devastation of the, those are causing, and and it kind of you know re- rework the system. So I'm really really working on that, and my framework and just like 
the journey I'm on is just it's just um curiosity. It's just like, you know, understanding um that as I'm working out, it's like building muscle to absorb glucose, you know, and and just like, you know, just diving into the science. I think it's criminal that biology is so boring in high school, at least for me. It's like, it's so interesting just learning. We've just been so disconnected, you know, listening to your podcast and others and just like how sunlight, you know, impacts us. And we've villainized sun. But my framework is it's it's food and kind of the framework I just talked about. It's it's movement. It's got to be 150 minutes a week in some way. Then you got to basically just, just start doing that and not stop and, and still work in progress on that. But that's something I really try to do. Sleep, obviously, super important. And then I think I think there are, you know, you talk about trusting companies. I think I think there's not a lot of trust deserved with our personal products in our home. And I think I do think that's a more and more important thing. And just like environmental toxins and and going on a journey in that. I don't think we're ever going to get to the right solution, but it's been such an improvement to my life to be on that journey. I have never been a big health not going to farmers markets, but now I just I think it's the most important issue in the world. I'm working to solve those instead of the true map, but just like I don't. My hope is just that that more and more people can be spurred to just be asking questions like that for them and their families. I'd also just say real quick, there's a lot to be happy for. I, I think the fact that these podcasts are are gaining traction. You look at the bestseller list; it's people talking about metabolic health. It's not as if we don't have a system that's designed for um, criticism. And I actually think that's a real benefit of our system. I mean, we have come a long way. Um, you know, we couldn't have imagined where we would be a hundred years from now. But we have lost our way. We've lost our way big time. But the fact that we're able to talk about it and the fact that so many folks are listening and and on their personal journeys gives me hope. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm so glad that you said that. And I want to also provide a little bit of that hope to people there's a lot of people and a lot of companies doing it the right way. I went to a conference last spring with Force of Nature on their um, Rome Ranch outside of Austin. And it was an entire conference all about regenerative farming. And I left feeling so inspired and so hopeful for the future because there are so many people dialed in on this issue right now from farmers to parents to um, leaders in, I mean, there were, there were people there that work at General Mills and they were, I was sitting at a table with them and they were talking to me about regenerative farming and how they want to change things. And so there's a lot of people that are on this right now. And a lot of people are waking up to this. And I would say as the listener, no matter where you are in your journey of all of this, like you said, stay curious and get healthy, get your family healthy, get your friends healthy, because that's how we change this. You know, we start putting our money into different companies because we have the buying power. And and like you said, organic is becoming more of a thing because people are waking up and people are putting their money into these companies that are actually doing it right. So there's a lot of amazing things happening. So there's a lot of hope to be had. And I'm so grateful for your work because you're a huge part of this. And, oh, actually, I have a question to ask you before um, we end, which you may already know what's coming, but what are your own personal health non-negotiables? So these are things that no matter how busy and crazy your day is, you do these to prioritize your own health. Great question. Um, I, and this is this has been a journey for me, and really a, a work. And and to be perfectly candid, right? I'm uh, doing the company, writing a book, and have a newborn. And uh, but 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 here here's what I'm putting for me and my um my my son is I think it's just discipline and habits. I think we've been taken away evolutionarily from like things that we just used to do as a part of natural life, eat natural food, move all the time. I, I to me, exercise is actually a part of 
like a key to everything in a way that it instills discipline and a little bit of time almost meditatively to like understand the connection to my body. Now, if I, if I can't do the hour class, I'm going to do some pushups. I'm going to like get in some way in touch with my body. And I think that the science on like moving your body and like what that does for your cells is just so powerful. So I'm really on a non-negotiable thing where with our new child and, 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 and talking about this with my wife, we're going to have an active lifestyle where we're going to be active consistently and not give up. And in a way, I do think the more I do that, it cements in my head an appreciation for my body, which I think psychologically actually uh, uh, spills the other habits. The most important being food. The other thing I, I just, you know, as I said, there's a lot of dietary philosophies. A lot of them are have, have some validity, but I really just don't want to have seed oils, sugar, and processed grains in the house. Those are not necessary. Those are franken food ingredients. And I think that gets a, a, a long, long way on sleep as well. It's not quite a non-negotiable yet to be just, just be totally candid. But but that's the trifecta for me. It, it, it's sleep, it's uh it's food and it's exercise. And I can really try to have you know curiosity about those habits and and, and try to make them non-negotiable. I, I just think a lot of other things in your life flow. And I just think from a personal standpoint, and, and I hope and I'm pushing for this, a public policy standpoint, not 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 forcing people to sleep, but but, but encouraging it. Like like these are foundations and we'd have such a happier, more productive country if we yeah. did those things. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, I love that. It was so beautifully put. And you mentioned this a couple times and I'm sorry that we didn't get um, more into it in the podcast, but it's really important to note the connection with what you eat and your mental health. I mean, this is a huge thing it is so big and you know we we are seeing so many people struggling in this country with their mental health and there is a direct connection and i've talked a lot about this on other podcasts but we know that there's a direct connection between the gut and the brain uh, through the vagus nerve and it, we know our guts are inflamed so it, with that connection we absolutely know our brains are inflamed as well and that's going to affect our hormones and the way we re- we react to things it's going to lead to depression anxiety no wonder we're struggling on so many different fronts. So I just wanted to say that um, I appreciate, yeah, it's really powerful. And I appreciate that that's a part of your message too, because that is also an added benefit for our country is that when we start cleaning up our diet and our health, it's going to help us be happier as a nation too and be more productive. It's all, it's all connected. It's all connected. Yes, yes. Well, please tell my listeners where they can find you. And thank you so much. This was so amazing. Well, thank thank you, Courtney. Your, your work is super inspiring. It's just awesome to chat with you. So yeah, my company, as I mentioned, is TrueMed. And we're really trying to build up an army. I mean, we really want to... It's I, To me, it's a subversive act to use those HSA, FSA dollars that you know are kind of designed to go to pharma. Or, you know, Use them to keep yourself healthy on food and exercise. We're trying to make that very seamless. So TrueMed.com is the company. And then Callie Means on Twitter. I, I never been a huge fan of Twitter, but it has been a great way to uh, talk about these issues. I'm, I'm glad you have looked at some of the tweets. I'm just trying to keep it positive, keep it focused on this issue, and just you know share interesting things. And again, it's not about negativity. It's about being empowered and understanding how the systems work. And yeah, the mental health connection too. And you mentioned regenerative farming at the end, but geez, that is a huge part of the answer that I've uh, been diving into. So, so maybe next time we could talk about a couple yes. of these, these other issues, but that's for another day. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. And please let me know how I can be involved with TrueMed. I'm, I am so fired up after this conversation. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. 
This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie. Georgie is spelled with a J. For more amazing podcasts produced by my team, go to resonantmediagroup.com. I love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of the Real Foodology podcast comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is, well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skin care, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts, Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.